When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester in Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm Rich Fay and on today's episode we look back at the weekend win over Arsenal with the United season so far. Look ahead to their Europa League campaign that begins later this week. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the MEN's Chief United writer Samuel Luckhurst and by Chief Football writer Tyro Marshall. How are you both doing chaps? Very well, thank you Rich. Very well. And yes, tight? good, good. Thank you Rich. Good. Buoyed by... Um... The, the positivity that seems to be flowing forth from this podcast at the moment, a few weeks in a row now, it's uh, yes. unprecedented scenes. It is unprecedented scenes, and another win for that as well, four in a row now, rather aptly against Mikel Arteta's side, who gave it their all and still left with nothing. Uh, Samuel, what did you make of the performance <laughs> at Old Trafford this weekend? That's, that's very good, very good indeed. Uh, well, it's interesting that United are still not playing the way that Ten Hag would prefer them to play in that it's still very much a counter-attacking side but it's a means to an end uh, in the interim because they needed points on the board after the debacle against Brentford and, and obviously to a lesser extent against Brighton and they've completely exceeded expectations in winning these last four games uh, they're on an upward curve now individually collectively he is getting improvements uh, in from that team uh, i think you come away from games and it seems to always be uh, maybe over the last week in particular but different players are actually emerging to the fore ericsson was a, a worthy man of the match against arsenal i thought he was terrific for all the money they've spent the business of of signing him on a free uh, I mean, free in inverted commas because he'll be on a, a decent salary. Um, is has been an inspired piece of business. Just how you know he, he went to Brentford as a halfway house, and then he's gone to a more upmarket property, if you like, in United. And he's he's been terrific. He's you can the more you watch him, the more you understand why the previous three permanent managers wanted to sign him and actually called him to to gauge how receptive he'd be to to join in United. Um, but I, I, as I said last week, I did fancy them to beat Arsenal. Maybe not as much when I saw that Arsenal were almost at full strength, mm. uh, bar Thomas Partey. And that that was the first serious Arsenal side to turn up at Old Trafford in maybe 18 years. You could go all the way back to the the so-called Invincibles run ending in, in October 2004. I think every time Arsenal have turned up at Old Trafford since for a Premier League game, they've either been, you know, United's equals far worse than United, or even if they were better and finishing above them in the league, you know, it, it was Arsenal. It, the, the, there was an element of lads, it's Arsenal. It, it did get to that at some stage um, when, when United were playing them, especially in, in Sir Alex Ferguson's final years. But Arsenal were impressive during uh, phases of the, the, the game on Sunday, and certainly when they made it 1-1. United had been holding on for that up until that point in in the second half and you sense that maybe that this is Arsenal's chance now to to go ahead and and see out the game and and make it six in a row but 
that was that was the first time this season United have won uh, without. You know, I mean, normally when they score, they stay ahead and they see out the game. They didn't do that yesterday. They had to show a bit of resilience, and they they did that. As I said earlier, it's it was on the counter attack. It was very very clinical as well. Uh, the way they they took their goals and. In the end, I think Arsenal was so open that United could have could have even won four one. Um, it was it, it was strange how Arsenal disintegrated after that second goal went in. And sometimes you you look at a team and you think, as as well as they've been playing, they are gettable. And mm. Arsenal do have some loose cannons in certainly in central defence. And I, I really don't think that Ben White, although he's done a a fine job as as an auxiliary right back this season. That that is not his forte. I don't see that as being long term planning at Arsenal. And United exploited it very impressively. Ty, a key element I thought was the midfield battle. Samuel said that you know not having Partey was was a blow for Arsenal, but still credit to United that they they commanded it so well at times. You know, Ten Hag took the risk, didn't he, with with his selection again to a degree? But Eriksson phenomenal. I thought McTominay was good as well, and Fernandez as well. He Obviously, when he doesn't maybe score, he doesn't get as much credit, but another good performance. But it's all underpinned by the work Ericsson does, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It feels like Ericsson's almost bringing Fernandes and McTominay together. He's you know he's the link man in that midfield. And um, we spoke about Ericsson in, in the post-game press conference and Ten Hag was asked about the impact he's having on Fernandes and did say, you know, he's, he's bringing the best out of him. He's, he's helping take the pressure off in terms of that creativity. But... It does feel like he is linking that midfield together. He was superb, involved in all three goals. Um, he just he just offers everything, really. He's got that eye for a creative pass, but he knows when to slow it down and knows when to keep it as well. He's played more minutes than any of Ten Hag's signings um, so far this season. He's played all but eight minutes of, of the Premier League season. I don't think any of us expected that when he signed. I think we all thought it was a pretty shrewd signing, but more as competition and depth. I don't think any of us thought would would be in this position and he he looks undroppable at the moment. He's he's been that good and it feels like I, I asked tonight after the game that it feels like he's important because he is he's almost the embodiment of what Ten Hag wants to do and how he wants to change this team. And you can see it's a work in progress at times. But the one player it's not a work in progress with is probably Ericsson. And it, it feels like he's vital in terms of getting Ten Hag's message across the pitch. Um it's interesting you know, we've touched on it previously when we had our sit-down with um, Ten Hag in, in Australia and he said he'd mould someone from the current squad to do the Gion role if we didn't sign him. And it, it feels like Ericsson is doing that, basically. He is dropping deep to get the ball off the centre-halves or off McTominay and, and progressing it up the pitch. And he, he has been really good. And it feels like it feels like him and Fernandez are, are pretty much nailed on in that team. I think Fred's going to find it hard to get back in. I think Casemiro will get in ahead of McTominay, but... You know, to, to give him some credit where it's due, I think McTominay's been excellent the last couple of games, especially. I thought he was superb yesterday. Um, and he's been really physical recently. He touched on this mm. after the, I think it was on Friday, maybe. Um, I can't remember one of the recent podcasts that Ranjit complained a lot last year about United lacking physicality. And it does feel like that's something that has changed this year, that they are a lot tougher. And it's kind of, it's embodied in a way by Martinez, who is just super aggressive and in your face and, you know, leather in Jesus after three minutes or Jesus after three minutes yesterday when there was no need to do so it was just typical of it when it sets the tone. But McTominay has, has really taken that mantle on. And I know we've been we've been critical of his aggression previously and you know a bit of a pan shot Roy Keane about him at times and it doesn't feel you know it's almost feel genuine. But the last few games it has felt like he's been a lot more physical. I thought he dominated Leicester's midfield on Thursday. And yesterday it, you know he was the same. There was 
there was a couple of there was one thumping challenge on Jesus um, fairly early on. I think he did the second half where he basically wrestled him to the ground when he thought he was getting away. I'd have been picked up a booking for it, but you know there, there was a real physicality to his game. And since Casemiro signed, I think he's really stepped up. And you know it's inevitable Casemiro will get in that team. But McTominay looks on this evidence a more than good enough backup to to play that defensive midfield role. And um, good as well that Ten Hag did reward him. Obviously, it's paid off now. But like I said, if, if someone's playing well, you've got to give them that carrot and carrot and say, well, mm. you've got your te- you've got your place in the team. And like I said, I think when McTominay maybe has an off day or there's an excuse to drop him, then you can bring Casemiro in. But right now, it doesn't look very likely. Samuel, another new signing in. Anthony, got to see him for the first time. What did you make of his performance? Personally, I thought he's kind of bad, but as master of a goal. But what did you what did you make of it? And and what did you make of him as a United player? Obviously the step overs and you know United fans love that. They love a winger who plays in that sort of style of play, takes Ben on, got a bit of arrogance about him. But but what did you make of his first start for United? Well I think your match going companion shares the same view of you as uh, view of Anthony as 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 you and it, it was to put it politely, a, a variable half up until he he did score, and it was it was a very well taken goal. It was, I mean, Arsenal were all at sea, and again, the the way United worked those moves is not so much just the way they worked them, but the the quickness that they um, they did it as well was you, you don't really see that from them or haven't seen that from them in in recent years in in proper games anyway. I mean, maybe the occasional behind closed doors game they they did that, but the caveat was. It was fake football, but when you had when you've got Anthony in that position, I mean he's left-footed and that it helps. And if that went to a player who's right-footed, even though you've still got you know a very good chance to score, it's, it's probably not as as routine or straightforward. Well, and you, I guess everybody... we saw that in the second half when Saka had that shot from a similar sort of angle. Yeah, it goes past the far post. Yeah, and and so you've 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 got that. I mean, it's not natural width, obviously, because um, that's that's not the way uh, Ten Hag wants to work. But he's got someone to balance out of that attack. And when the ball was laid to Anthony, you knew exactly where he's going to place the ball. Uh, Ramsdale can adjust his body with with those goals. I mean, you saw it a little bit with um, some of the uh, some of the Brighton goals yesterday. When the keepers waited that way, they can't adjust to go the other way. So it was it, he made it look very easy. And obviously there was the bit of skill where he backheeled it to Dallow cross for, for Ericsson to have the chance early on in the game. But there was a lot of um, self-indulgence, I think it's it's fair to say. Uh, you know, he is he he is a footballer for the social media crowd. Um when I was well, certainly when I was young, he would have been a, a footballer for the for the YouTube generation, but that that feels like ancient history now. Um, you know, it's it's all you know, he must have been what six or maybe seven when you had those Jogger Benito adverts that were coming out from Nike around the 2006 World Cup and watching him at times it's almost like an an advertisement of that and they will have to coach that out of him because a lot of it is is superfluous really it didn't really offer a lot and and Arsenal fans were goading him from time to time with the things he was doing because it had no bearing it had no impact on them and I think we were kind of scornful about him about a minute before he scored because he did the, the step over thing wasn't it I, I can't remember quite what it was but we were saying what what the hell is he doing <laughs> 85 million pounds and you've got a, a pre-style footballer and then of course he, he scores his goal so he, he ends up salvaging the game but, but he's also got character about him and we've said that time and again that 
with these signings that they've made this summer, character was just as important as quality because that was a pretty rotten dressing room last season and they've they've got rid of some bad apples. Um, you know, you can mention names. I mean, Paul Pogba was a bad <laughs> apple, let's let's face it. Uh, there have been some others who have said certain things since they left United and maybe the dressing room is better off without them as well. It's, it feels a much more harmonious environment. You can see Ten Hag's imprint on the squad already. I think it was good yesterday as well that, I mean, somewhat ironically, given that Casemiro was was maybe the, the headline signing because of his his pedigree, he was the only one of the summer signings who, who didn't start yesterday. But I like that as well, that Ten Hag, he, he threw Anthony in at the deep end, if you like. I, I was slightly surprised until I was informed about an hour before kickoff that he was down to start, that he did start because I thought, well, he's not played in three weeks, so he'll, mm-hmm. he'll maybe ease him in against Real Sociedad and then he comes in at, at Crystal Palace, but he threw him straight in at the deep end and he got his goal, so it reflects reflects very well on the manager and the, a lot of the positives about United, it's all of them, Ten Hag has something to do with it, whether it's a proactive substitution, whether it's an individual improving their form, such as Marcus Rashford, obviously, getting two goals and an assist yesterday, or Ericsson being at the centre of it, or Bruno Fernandes improving again after having a pretty torrid season last season. You can see, even in these early stages, despite those fraught first three weeks of August, that United are seeing the benefit of having a manager who actually also gets out of the manager's office and does the coaching at Carrington. Ty, in terms of you know his actual approach there on the day against Arsenal, it's maybe no surprise that the wins against Arsenal, Liverpool have come. United playing this sort of counter-attack of football still, and you know you, if that's what you're good at, you might as well embrace it. That's not a, a flaw by any means. But in the two games United were expected to go and dominate, Leicester and Southampton, they were tighter affairs to a degree, and you know there was they weren't as open, were they, on on the break? What do you make of United's sort of transition under Ten Hag? Like I said, there's there's elements there that he's getting his style of play implemented. Ericsson's obviously helped them with their composure and possession, their creativity, but still does feel like United are like a Dulux Oligon Solskjaer side at times. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes and no, yeah. I I think, um, you know, they're they're, they're obviously still not where Ten Hag wants them to be. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting that, during that spell where Arsenal were dominant yesterday, I was doing the, the five things we learned from it. And I sort of started one about how it, it feels like United were kind of in a similar position at the start of this season to where Arsenal were a year ago. And the, the comparison's obvious in a way because they were both bottom of the league early on and, and looked in real trouble. I think Arteta deserves immense credit for the way he's turned Arsenal around. And he's done it yeah. through investing in youth and also the club have just been ruthless. If he said, that player doesn't fit my style, is an issue within the squad they've just bombed him out and cost them money. And you, you kind of feel like United are at that position now. And like Samuel said, it's helped that some of those players have gone on free transfers. And that's kind of where they need to get to. And to give Arsenal credit, I thought they were really, really good yesterday. I thought it, I thought it was actually a really high standard game. And, you know, they were unlucky, I think, to lose to lose 3-1. Um, they feel like a side that are going places this season. United are still, you know, we said it after the Leicester game, they're still a moments team under Ten Hag mm-hmm. at the moment. I thought this was, of their four wins, I thought this was probably the best performance, even though Arsenal had spells. They, you know, they beat two fairly underwhelming teams previously. I mean, Leicester are rubbish this season. Southampton gave United a real sort of going over in that last half an hour, but they stood strong and Southampton have picked up good results since then. 
they beat Liverpool, but Liverpool have been under par, really. Um, you know, and that was a, a solid defensive performance with only about maybe 15, 20 minutes at the start of the heart at the start of the game of where we really saw Ten Hag's quality. I think we saw it more we saw it more in this game, and it felt like although Arsenal had a couple of spells where they were well, well on top, United hung in there and the, the, the first goal is is a classic example of probably what Ten Hag wants to do. Uh, it's only watching it back this morning you realise how good a goal it was and it must be well over a minute, you know, to keep the ball for. I think every player's involved, including that that Anthony thing where he just waved his foot over the ball and <laughs> didn't seem to go anywhere. But crucially, he did keep the ball. Um, and, you know, you saw it then, that the quality they can possess and they started the game really well. Um, and, yeah, it, it's clearly a work in progress. And it, it felt like a, you know, it, it felt like a big game because I still look at that table and I can only see one of those two teams getting top four. I'm not sure there's room for both in the top four. I think it would be a surprise if if both were in the top four. And on the evidence, Arsenal are going to be a real threat for that top four. Because, like I say, I thought they were really good. And it felt, you know, it felt like um, it felt like a close to the United Arsenal game that we used to get in the Fergie and Wenger era. It obviously wasn't at that level, but the intensity of it was similar to that. The speed at which it played out was similar. I mentioned the physicality of um, McTominay. He had Ferran and Martinez against Jesus, which was incredibly engrossing. And for his size, Jesus just phenomenally strong. And you know he took a real battering from United's players, but never really flinched, never kicked off. Is the way he got the better of Ferran a couple of times was was fantastic. And it, it just felt, I thought, like a really high quality game. And we're still not seeing a ninety minute performance from Ten Hag United. That's probably to be expected. But we're certainly seeing in glimpses of where he wants to get to. And like he said after the game, maybe the biggest thing is the character that they're showing at the moment and uh, the desire to do the, to do the dirty work and the hard work, which they, they didn't really have last season. And the biggest, the biggest shift from last season has probably been that mentality shift. Yeah, of course. And we are only six games into the season, so we should get that style of play developing. And of course we've only just seen Anthony arrive. So that adds another element to the way they, they play entirely as well. Samuel, in terms of the goals, I mean, Rashford's two, Came after he sort of switched the left wing when Ronaldo had come on. What do you make of the sort of makeup of that forward line? Because it still doesn't quite look right, does it? It's still a work in progress as as United are. I thought Sancho was strangely quiet yesterday. He he drew a, a pretty cynical foul in the first half. That was it. Was, I can't, was it Gabriel or Saliba got booked for? I think on that far side. But bearing in mind again, he was up against White, who he's 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 performed pretty commendably so far this season for an auxiliary right back. But someone of Sancho's uh, quality really should be giving him a chasing, and he didn't. And it was good proactive management by Ten Hag to to hook Sancho at that point. I mean, he, he could have it could have been Ronaldo. Uh, sorry, not Ronaldo. It could have been Rashford coming off because I mean, quite strangely, there were about two or three occasions where. Rashford was not going at full, full throttle or not challenging for loose balls that were were certainly winnable, and the crowd picked up on it. And they they were as we saw in, in January during the um, the Villa Cup game, uh, they're not afraid of um, being audibly exasperated with uh, with an academy player. I think previously last season it was Fred who got some cat calls when he was substituted, and obviously Maguire did as well against Atletico Madrid. 
but it felt more significant with with Rashford in that game um, because you know he's one of their own, so to speak, and he's the nation's darling. And and also the fact it was a game on terrestrial TV probably amplified the coverage of um, of, of the uh, of the grief he was getting, frankly. And then, of course, he goes on and, and scores a couple of goals. And that, that is an enviable knack to have as a striker. The amount of times you've seen great strikers be absolutely anonymous in a game and then they'll pop up with a couple of goals. Uh, you know, just a, an example that springs to mind was, was Michael Owen uh, for England when they, they beat Argentina in probably the most one of the more intense friendlies if you could call it that that I've ever seen um in 2005 England came from 2-1 down scored a couple of goals late on through Owen and and that was classic post hamstring Michael Owen when he could actually still run a bit in that he didn't have the pace but his understanding and his awareness of opportunities was still one of the best around and he could still win win matches like that having done next to nothing in the previous 80 or 85 minutes and obviously there was an element of luck with Rashford's goal in that it deflected the first one, that is. Um, and, and the second one, you you wondered actually whether White was just about to get to it because the, the square pass was slightly under hit and it, they could have been a bit more polished with the finishing. But again, they, they got the goal and he, he comes away from it, Rashford, with two goals and an assist. So that's a hell of a day's work. But in terms of playing him through the middle, I'm I, I'm just not having that. And it's not it's not a coincidence that he truly came alive in that game after he switched to the left. Now people can say, well, the first goal he's can't, he, the, the run he's made is straight through the middle, which yes, that's that's absolutely true, but that is also a consequence of Ronaldo putting a shift yeah. in, trying to close down Arsenal players. The analysis on match of the day two was very good that Troy Deeney did. Um, I mean, mainly on Ericsson, but that goal, the breakdown of it, Rashford is. He's playing on the left and he can run into that area that's been vacated by Ronaldo where he's dropped off. And we have seen we saw last season, Ronaldo does like to drop off. He will pull off a marker. Uh, his, his layoffs are usually excellent. I thought he was brilliant when he came on yesterday. And that is going to invite someone to run into that space. I mean, Firmino mastered that when he was at his peak selflessness for, for Liverpool and you'd have Mane or Salah running on to get the goals and get the glory. And although I don't see Ronaldo being that selfless, because let's face it, he there's there's a reason why he's the game's greatest goal scorer. It has it has benefited Rashford, um, or it did benefit Rashford in the last half hour, twenty five minutes of the Arsenal game. But clearly, I think you know Anthony's going to be the right hand sided player. The left sided player is going to be one of Rashford or Sancho. Look, it's it's a nice it's a nice problem to have because those two have played their best football for United from that side. And that probably is their best position. One of them will lose out, I would imagine, regarding the England World Cup squad. And up front, I think long-term, it has to be Ronaldo or Martial. I mean, again, Ronaldo's shift that he put in yesterday, getting applause off Ten Hag for his work rate mm-hmm. towards the end of the game, as if like this, this guy has ever been a hindrance to a team that he plays in. And these people who say that United would have finished uh, hired last season w- without him, uh, without again not throwing anyone under the bus, but that's that's an opinion held by Ty and and other esteemed colleagues out there. But I, I've just never bought it. Uh, I I just think if you've got him in your team, he is an asset. And the fact that the window is now closed, he can be a bit more focused, and there's not going to be as much noise around him. Uh, although I think all of us are still quite disappointed that this uh, this this much anticipated interview, nearly three weeks on, is is still yet to uh, 
yet to air. Yeah, as long as it airs on my day off, I don't mind. When it's <laughs> um, Ty, six games into the season then, what have you made United so far? Obviously, that early hiccup and you've drawn the similarity to Arsenal last season. United are finding their feet, four wins on the bounce. You can only beat the teams that you play anyway. You know, to beat Leicester and Southampton might not be too glamorous, but they, they did it. They showed the resilience. What have you made United and how far do you think they can go? You've already indicated that maybe top four at best is, is your sort of prediction. You don't think they could, you know, maybe not win the league, but, <laughs> but go second or third? There was um, there was a couple of attempts in the post-match press conference yesterday to try and, to try and walk Ten Hag into that territory of, uh, of talking of a title challenge, but... I think we've we've seen enough of him to know that he was never gonna uh, never gonna bite on that. I think it's still I think it's still unrealistic to talk of a title challenge this year. I think if you offered them fourth now, they'd take it. Um you, you know, the biggest thing you have to say is the turnaround after that Brentford game has been phenomenal. And Ted Hag deserves deserves immense immense credit for that. Um, you know, the, the the podcast we did after Brentford should should probably be spiked really, because it's um, you know, it's probably not great listening back to it, but I think we all feared for them at, at that point. Um, the, the performance was so bad. The, the things that were wrong in the team were so bad that it just, it, it, you know, it, it felt terminal. And I remember saying you, you couldn't say after that game that they'd reached rock bottom, but it appears they have reached rock bottom. Um, like I say, the turnaround has been amazing to win four games in a row. I mean, to, to have, when, when we walked away from Brentford, to be told after six games they'd be above Liverpool and Chelsea in the league, you know, you, you, you're probably looking at 100 to 1 or something that was going to happen. Um, it's just an incredible turnaround to have won the games that they have done. Like we say, they are still a work in progress. Um, I still think they're going to have moments where they, they lose games. The, the, you know, the Leicester, they were always, you know, they, they were always in control in that game. The other three has been spelled where they've been under pressure. And caved is, is probably the biggest thing you can say for them. And it is it is a season where if there's going to be a surprise, it's going to be this year because of the World Cup and and how that's going to going to affect things. And, and obviously, United will have some players who who are going to that World Cup, Rashford and Sancho, in particular. Um, but then Haaland's not going to go for City. Salah's not going to go for Liverpool. So there's other teams that will benefit. But it is inevitably going to have a knock on effect. I think that World Cup in terms of not just the schedule, but how players, you know, the players that go. The last days are going to be knackered come Boxing Day and the rest of the season. Players that lose in the semi-finals or finals are going to be deflated. It, it's just going to have an effect, and I think this this could be the year we see a surprise, or it might be closer than we think. But I still think that if you if you offered United fourth now, I think they'd take it, get back in the Champions League, and, and build from there. Um, I think you know there's talk of a title challenge is probably a little bit early, but. Well, they're within we're within a handful of points. We can at least keep the narrative going and, and keep the hope going, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, I think fourth would would probably do. Keep working on Ten Hag to finally break his silence, shall we say, on on the top four <laughs> and a, a title challenge. So another interesting element to it, I suppose will be the Europa League. How United approached that and how they manage their their sort of squad overhaul. You know, whenever whenever you mention the word with Europa League, fans always think just put the kids in basically, and that maybe that's what they do on FIFA or whatever, and they all play. But United have so many, you know, senior players now that need to get minutes as well. That it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of balance they go for, and they start their campaign against Real Sociedad this week. What do you? What I mean, if you were the United manager, what how would you approach the, the Europa League? Would you just bin it off, or do you think it is a realistic chance of of a trophy? No, they've they've got to they've got to try and win it. They can't turn their noses up at 
competition and the possibility of of winning something when they are certain to stray close to six years without winning anything. Uh, they they finished sixth last season. United. This this still might be, it might well be their best route into the Champions League next season. They've you know, recovered well from the Brentford uh, embarrassment, as I said, but that's that's extremely competitive Premier League this season. And we've seen already uh, with the City dropping points against Aston Villa, who looked pretty pretty dreadful um, for, for most this season, yet they, they still rallied to get probably a deserved draw against City. Newcastle drew with them. Um, Brighton have had a terrific start to the season. I think the quality, it feels a more even league this season. Uh, it doesn't feel like the, the way the table is at the moment. There aren't too many clubs in positions where you'd say, where you think that's that's a bit jarring. Mate, mate, I mean, Leicester obviously are, a bottom and, and that does feel quite peculiar but they have been on a bit of a downward slope for for most of the last year and there are things that have been going on behind the scenes there that have uh, clearly upset the apple cart as well that, that Rogers reflected on last season but again going, going back to United they, they're a team that haven't won a trophy since 2017 the last thing they did win was the Europa League as Mourinho said that night the, the best way to get in the Champions League other than winning the Premier League is pretty much by winning a, a trophy and, and that has to be the Europa League. So th- the group stage is is so, let's face it, it's easy, isn't it? I mean, Sociedad, I think it's good for them that they get that game, the home game out of the way first yeah. because Sociedad are by far and away the, the, the second best team um, in that group. And if they get that, if they get a win there, then they've got, I, th- I think Sociedad's the last game of the group as well. So then they've got four games against, I mean, fodder let's face it one of the teams is managed by by Neil Lennon and has Brandon Barker playing for them I mean they they should be making light work of them so with the game coming up this week I mean the likelihood is that they'll they'll be starting to Brazil starters in midfield with Fred and Casemiro Ronaldo will probably play up front it's not going to be a I don't think it's going to be mass rotation but there can be a sensible level of rotation for that game where you put a team out where you're confident that they're going to win the game and United do have a pretty decent squad now it doesn't feel like it's too bloated a squad um, that that is available to Ten Hag obviously they've been absolutely useless at selling or not selling players again this year to, to have gone through the whole summer without selling a single player involved in in the squad last season and involved in a season like that last season is, is another failing of the club, but it's not a surprise because this is a historical issue with United selling players dating back to, to Ferguson's era. So they, they have to make do with what they've got and next year, try and see if they can get Alex Tellers, Eric Bailly off the books and, and others who uh, have had, you know, have um, unfortunately in some cases there have been injuries that have scuppered deals, which is must be frustrating for all concerned. In, in some cases, you wonder whether it is just a conveniently timed injury, because they have they have history for that. But in terms of the squad that Ten Hag has available for the Europa League, and I still don't think they've quite pub- they've not published their squad yet, so there'll probably be some notable names that are cut from it. But with the rotation he can do this week ahead of Palace. The, the team that they put out, I mean, the cost of it, as, as is always the dumb thing when you, sometimes when you get down to these games, just to give yourself something to do and make it a little bit more interesting, it will be well north of 200 million, maybe 300 million pounds. I mean, M- Maguire might come in as well. 
So it's it's just getting that balancing act right for maybe this one-off game, and then he can he can be a bit more uh, liberal with his rotating in the in the next matches because let's face it, that that Moldova trip, it's it, that's not going to appeal to too many of the United players. I wouldn't have thought. And uh, they've they've got Leeds, I believe, three days later, and then it's the September internationals. So they they would want to be in a very good place as far as the Premier League is concerned. And really, they they at the risk of sounding complacent, they should be able to probably sleepwalk through this group and and get through to the knockout stage. Of course, Ty. You know, as Sam said there, the fact United were so poor at selling players means that their squad depth. You know, you look at their reserve back four. It's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first choice back four. You got Shaw, Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, yeah. and Maguire. So there is a real sort of depth of quality and experience now on the bench. They might not be first teamers anymore, but you know, you, you can't you can't be making too many excuses if they were to drop points of that sort of lineup anyway. For you, are there any players you are particularly looking forward to seeing in the Europa League? I know Donny van der Beek, who is the, our usual sort of bingo card call-out, is, is injured at the moment. That's why he missed the Arsenal game. But are there any players you are looking forward to and think they've got a real chance of you know, making, a, making a case for themselves by playing in Europe? Um, not that I can think of, but I mean, you look at someone like Maguire and Shaw and how they respond to, to what has happened and the fact they've lost their, their places, Maguire especially. Um, it's hard to see how he gets back in the league, really. Um, I thought a bit sorry for him when he came on yesterday and his first involvement was to to pick up a booking that's something that for a clumsy foul, but for something that wasn't really his fault. It kind kind of sums up where um, yeah. where he's at. And you know, you, you mentioned the squad depth there. I was thinking earlier actually, they've probably got they've probably got two players. Well, they have got two players for every position now, and Bar maybe right back. They've got two players for every position. I would say. I, you know, I think it's clear one, but Saka's not not got a future at the club. But beyond that, they've probably got two two players that you would be relatively happy with competing for every position. They've got they've got the four wingers, Marshall and Ronaldo up front. Um, you know, you look at the midfield yesterday, and then you've got Fred, Casemiro, and Van der Beek to come in there, for example, the back four that you just mentioned. Um, so there's you know there's options there, and they've got. Like Samuel said, this group is 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 so easy that they should really be able to get through with their eyes closed and make wholesale changes and and ease players in and out at, at will. Really, it's considering how congested the schedule it is with the Europa League. They couldn't have asked for a better group. Um, and I guess someone would be interested in seeing, presuming he's going to play, is is Martin Dubravka and sort of if he can challenge De Gea. We touched on it on Friday as a you know a, a strange signing. It's hard to see how he can possibly challenge De Gea, but. Presuming he gets the the nod in those Europa League games, it'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on. I was going to ask you then for your predictions for the game, but it doesn't matter, does it? Because if they lose, they'll still win the other games. But Samuel, what I mean, what is the what do you think the mood's going to be for United fans? I mean, it, like I said, it's a good chance to see the other players, and you know they, they've got to try to keep this momentum going, I suppose as well, haven't they? Four wins on the bounce, you don't want that to come to an end against Sociedad at home because that you know can have a little bit of a knock on effect. Well, it, it could and. They they want to. I mean, it's it's a good um, incentive for them as well to to try and get it to six in a row. Given that I think the last time they won five matches on the spin, it was it was still in April of of last year. This is something that we've been on repeat the last couple of games because they've they've struggled to uh, string so many wins together. So I think if if they do beat Sociedad, it, it equals a run in. April 21 of, of winning five games in a row. Uh, in terms of when they last won six in a row, I'm not too sure they did that after the restart in 20, um, 
1920. So you, you probably have to go back to, I, I'd imagine, Solskjaer's caretakers didn't when they when they won six in a row. So for Ten Hag to to get that early on in his in his premiership is again it's it's another incentive I'd, you'd have to say and and just it builds up momentum. Sociedad are the best second best team clearly in that group. Um, they've they've got pretty good pedigree as well. It was it was a bit unfair on them uh, a couple of seasons ago when they drew United and their home leg was in Turin. I mean they were they were two very um, just just two soulless occasions both both those games the second leg was nil nil because it was it was four nil from the first leg it was it was game over but both behind closed doors one play one match played in neutral country it was it was completely unfair on on Sociedad and they've they've lost possibly uh their best player in in his act to, to Newcastle as well so although they've got some recognizable names there they've not got as many as they had when they when they played United a couple of seasons ago, when Yanazai was was obviously uh, at Sociedad, he's now at Sevilla, uh, which which is a very good move for his career. Um, so again, if I think United could probably get away with making four or five changes, and and they should, you you would be expecting them to win this game, and and that's a measure of progress as well. We're actually going into United games now and, and fancying them to win them, irrespective of the level of the opposition. Yeah, Taz, we'll come to you that as a as a final point because I'm just looking through the Sociedad squad list now. You look at people like Alexander Sorloff, they've got on loan for from Leipzig. You look at Oyaz Rabal, David Silva, of course, playing there. But in years gone by, this is the type of game United would maybe come stuck in. And I guess it would be the biggest compliment to Ten Hag if United just make it a formality on Thursday night. Yeah, it, it probably would. I, I, like I said, I guess it's one of those you don't want to read too much into. Um, like I said, if, if they lose it, you still wouldn't fear for them going through in the group. But Sociedad aren't, you know, I don't think they're a great side. I'm not sure there's any great Spanish teams at the moment apart from Real Madrid. Um, they, they really, you know, they should have enough. And like, you know, like Samuel said earlier, if you're talking about rotation, then you're talking of playing Maguire and Casemiro and Fred and Ronaldo. Um you know, it's, it's still a pretty strong team to come in if you bring those players that were on the bench. So they should they should have enough, really. And like you say, if, if they can win it, make changes and make it routine, then it, it will feel sort of very un-United like to get to get it done with the minimum fuss. We shall see. And of course, we'll be back later in the week to discuss what happens at Old Trafford and look ahead to that trip to Crystal Palace this weekend. So Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thanks, Rich. And once again, thank you wherever you are in the world. As always, please leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.